Let's go. Bitches, friends. Are you still there? <laughs> I hope so. I'm back. Uh, as I said, I think I said last time, I never meant to be away for this long, but uh, paying work has had to take all of my time lately. Uh, but let's not talk about that. Let's talk about being here today. Have you ever been told that your standards are too high? Or do you have a hard time meeting your own very high standards? If you said yes, keep listening because today is all about perfectionism and procrastination. And believe me, I get it. And we're going to take a look under the hood at, uh, at why this happens and make some sense about why we do these things. In case you're a new listener, welcome. I'm Kelly Wilson. I'm the owner of fitfizstudio.com. And I am a personal trainer, nutrition coach, behavior change specialist, autoimmune disease educator, and I've worked in the health and fitness industry for over 25 years. I'm here to help you ditch the gimmicks, find strength, through your struggles, give you knowledge for making the smartest choices for your own health, and to remind you to celebrate victory every step of the way. The information shared is for educational and informational purposes only. Nothing should be interpreted as an intent to diagnose, treat, cure, heal, or prescribe. All right, so the last episode was all about people-pleasing, and this builds upon that. That is, this is all stuff still about mindset. And as with most of my episodes, a lot of them build upon each other. So again, if you're new, it will really benefit you to go back and listen to as many previous episodes as you can to get the most out of all of it. Everything in the past is still relevant for what I say now, since I'm not talking about current events, I'm talking about um, you and your health, nutrition, fitness, all that kind of stuff. All of the past episodes are still relevant, even though they're a couple years old. As with anything to do with mindset, you can take all of this and you can apply it broadly to your life, or you can think about it in terms of applying it to specific areas of life that you might struggle with, such as maybe staying committed to fitness or nutrition goals. As I said in episode 25, which was all about willpower and motivation, I don't think that willpower and motivation and things like that are truly real, meaning that we can use those things as an excuse for not achieving something. So listen to that episode as well. If you're the type of person who ever says things like, oh, I just don't have the willpower or I wish I had your motivation to get to the gym all the time. Or maybe you have struggle with um, sticking to healthy eating patterns. Notice I didn't say diet. Because anytime you rely on these intangible things like motivation or willpower, you're keeping your excuses very surface level. And so therefore, I feel like it's just an excuse because you're turning your back on the true underlying reason of why you feel unmotivated or whatever it is. There might be actual obstacles in your life that can prevent you from staying committed to a workout program, but that certainly has nothing to do with motivation. So those are two separate things. Just like I said last time when I was talking about people-pleasing, people-pleasing is based in fear. Perfectionism and procrastination, today's topic, those are also usually fear-based. I say usually because there are always nuances, but today we're focusing on perfectionism and procrastination and how they are fear-based. Perfectionism has a lot to do with a compulsion to control things that usually stem from childhood experiences. Now, as I've been reflecting on my experiences with these things, it's nuts to me when I think back to when I graduated from college. 
that was a time when perfectionism was so widely glorified, especially in professional and educational environments. And I was always a quote unquote good student. And I had all of these high hopes of being this phenomenal graphic designer and professors were always pushing perfectionism. And even before that, things were all things that were quote unquote perfect always got so much praise, much more than just doing a decent job at something. Here's another example. Think about how good it felt if you ever got an A plus as a grade rather than just an A. That's glorifying perfection. And parents and teachers, would, they would show so much admiration for that. So of course, kids learning that was the quote unquote best way to be. And it was reinforced over and over endlessly. So of course, it should come as no surprise that a lot of people in my generation felt that it was the accept the only acceptable way to be or that's what we had to do in order to achieve worthiness or love or to feel adequate to me it really even just saying this stuff it stirs up a gross feeling in the pit of my stomach because that's how much I how closely I relate to it because if that a plus wasn't there there was certainly a fear of getting less praise or feeling less loved Getting back to college and graduating from college and being coached by peers and mentors and how to be great at job interviews, it was always taught to us that if you go to a job interview and they ask what your biggest flaw is, that you're supposed to say that you're a, your biggest flaw is that you're a perfectionist because that way you're not really giving something truly bad, but they're going to love it when you say that you're a perfectionist. That's pretty gross now, right? Those are some ways that it's glorified, but also gives you an idea where perfectionism is rooted a lot of times because it comes from somewhere. People don't just wake up one day at like age 33 and say, I think I'm going to be a perfectionist today. It's built over time very slowly, and it often spreads into all areas of life. And each of those areas of life, there's often, maybe all the time, I should say, there's always someone on the other end of the perfectionism, giving positive feedback for it, therefore making the perfectionist more likely to keep doing it or pushing the perfectionism even further. Now, I have been called a perfectionist a lot of times in life. And up until around age probably 30 or 32, it always felt like it was a form of people telling me that I was worthy of their love. I'm not sure what shifted that, at that age, but I think a lot of it had to do with me not being able to keep up with the level of perfectionism in various areas of life. So I often felt defeated knowing that I would not get those verbal stamps of approval because I just couldn't keep up. But, the, but those verbal stamps of approval made me feel worthy of being. But yeah, up until that age, it was always more and more and more in order to get external val validation that I, at that stage in life, I so deeply craved it. And you're probably already saying to yourself, Kelly, that doesn't seem really healthy. And yeah, you're right. But I couldn't see it. I didn't have someone in my life showing me, demonstrating for me what it looked like to slow down. Or I didn't have anyone teaching me that I was worthy of love, even if I did less, and that there was nothing to fear if I did do less. I'm not sure if others would agree or not, but I think some of it too is just society at a point in time from maybe, you know, when I was going through my teen, teens and 20s, like the 
late 80s, early 90s, all the way through, I think roughly, I'm going to say around 2010, we didn't have prominent voices, authors, speakers, social media stars that we have now who are showing people that they are worthy of love even when they are far less than perfect, even if they're messy. Now, I truly feel that my personal experiences with perfectionism, which were absolutely fear-based, played a role in the eventual downfall of my health in 2016 and all of my autoimmune issues that I always talk about. I'm not sure how much sense this will make if you haven't listened to past episodes. So again, definitely go back. They're worth listening to. This will make more sense if you have listened to past episodes because this is a mega condensed explanation. But fear, what it is, is it's using the sympathetic nervous system, which is not meant to be in use 24-7. This is our fight, flight, or freeze response, which I spoke about in depth in the trauma episodes roughly a year ago. In a primitive sense, that fight, flight, or freeze response is meant to help us run from a wild animal for a quick minute, then we get to safety, and then that that part of our nervous system gets a break. But if you have that ongoing fear for weeks, months, and years, or decades, the human body is not set up to constantly use that fear response all the time. So eventually, we as humans, we malfunction when the body is in this mode that it's not meant to be in constantly. And when that happens, that's when things creep up like insomnia, food sensitivities, which usually means you have leaky gut, which usually means you're not absorbing nutrients properly. Then we have excess fatigue because we're not nourished. So we're too tired to cook healthy food and then we eat more junk food and we can't focus at work. So we end up having to work later. Then we're even more tired. (laughs) And then all of these things, our hormones are out out of whack and that makes us moody and then we have more stress because everything is irritating and that goes on and on and on and on until there is some kind of life-altering health tragedy. It's a very common story, right? Without a doubt, you can relate this sequence of events to somebody that you know because it's just sadly far too common and it's not just my story. It's just, it's the story of so, so, so many people. And as I always say, there is nuance and nuance is important. So just really quickly, don't oversimplify it as if I'm saying that wanting to do something perfectly will lead to autoimmune disease. It's not that simple. And there are many other factors that take place over the course of years. But what I am saying is I want you to see how perfectionism is fear-based and how letting that fear run your day-to-day decisions can eventually lead to crashing and burning in serious serious health issues, mental health or physical health. Perfectionism is also something that you can't simply, just like it doesn't start overnight, you can't just simply wake up one day and decide you're going to turn it off. It takes work to undo many years of behaving that way, especially when deep down you're fearing, fearing something. Maybe it's that you're unworthy or you won't be accepted or you'll let people down. Maybe you're fearing that you'll let yourself down. For me, that time came when I started realizing how much it hurt to hear other people say, well, if you weren't such a perfectionist, blah, blah, blah. It felt like this biting pain to my spirit in a way. Again, even as I'm saying this, I I relate to all this stuff so much, even as I'm saying it, like I feel this, the wash of like depressive feelings come over me that went along with that part of my life. And not only is it fear-based, but perfectionism is also, 
it's the opposite of self-love. And nobody really taught me. I'm sounding really negative here. I don't want anyone to think I had an unloving childhood. I had a very loving childhood, but I am a highly emotional person. And, um, you know, sometimes we just have different needs. But nobody really taught me what self-love. A lot a lot of people don't get taught what self-love is until they realize they're lacking it. But And nobody taught me how to be gentle with myself in a way that made my nervous system feel safe. That was also something that I had the realization that I had to actively find self-love. That was at some point in my mid-30s. I remember there was a time during, around that age where self-love felt like a completely foreign concept to me. I remember thinking, I have to figure out this self-love thing, but it literally made no sense to me. It, if somebody would have told me you have to learn Japanese or self-love, they would have felt equally as hard because they were both that foreign to me. Perfectionism can also be a sign of past trauma too, or unresolved trauma. Having perfectionistic tendencies can be a form of buffering. Now, if you, in case you're not familiar with buffering, buffering is when you use one behavior to lessen the impact of another. Sometimes it can be healthy to cope that way, but many times it's not. Some of the most common forms of buffering are overeating, shopping, drinking alcohol, drugs, and also perfectionism. It's like escapism. And I hope that I'm not upsetting anyone listening who maybe has perfectionistic tendencies and never stop to think about the darker side like this. Again, it's nuanced. Sometimes things do need to be perfect. And sometimes what's messy and far from perfect for one person, that is another person's version of perfect. Uh, so we all have different standards. It's different for everybody. But let's turn this into how perfectionism often relates to people self sabotaging their fitness or nutrition goals. Give me an eye roll right now if you've ever missed your Monday workout and then you proceeded to think, well, there's no point in going on Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or Friday. Give me another eye roll right now if you've ever started out on a Monday morning like this is it, this is the week I eat healthy, I'm going to change my whole life. And then by lunchtime, someone is twisting your arm to order pizza and you give in, you think, well, I guess I'll start next Monday. Instead of just accepting that one off track meal and getting back on track for dinner that same day. Now, if you gave me a couple, one or two eye rolls there, maybe a whole bunch of eye rolls. I think it's safe to say there are a lot of people eye rolling with you. So many of us do it. I've done it probably a hundred times in my younger days. And this is a form of perfectionism. But I don't think this scenario is fear-based. This is just self-sabotage because logically we know it doesn't make sense to operate that way, right? That's why I said to give me an eye roll. One side of us is like, what are you doing? Just get back on track, please. Then the other side of us is like, nope, too late. I already messed up. This is behavior and a mindset that is self-sabotaging and a roadblock to reaching your goals. It keeps you small. In a way, it keeps you unaccountable for your less than desirable choices. Because when you're like, well, it's no use. I already messed up. I'll start over on Monday. You're holding on to the excuse that it's valid to operate that way. But you know it's not really valid. I know this game. <laughs> then you're going to beat yourself up mentally the rest of the week and you might overeat because you're in this headspace of like, meh, it's no use. So 
not only are you delaying your progress, but you're actually backsliding. And sometimes this is how people can end up gaining 70 pounds after they worked really hard for months to lose 40. All of this relates to uh, also why it drives me bonkers when people suddenly announce that they are starting a new diet and they're making all of these drastic changes in the matter of one day. If you know me at all, you should know that I am not a fan of any diets with names because they all, all, all of them have a downfall of some kind. But I know people are still going to do the gimmicky diets. So if you do, even though I really wish you wouldn't, (laughs) there is quite literally no reason to suddenly be like, I'm starting keto today or I'm starting intermittent fasting today. There is no reason to do that all suddenly on one day other than perfectionism, which in this case is fear. Fear that you won't do it right and it's not all totally done at the same time. Fear that you won't reach your goals as quickly as you'd like to. I know you know what I mean. I don't really need to even elaborate on that, but it is fear. And it is infinitely smarter to swap out one or two foods at a time, maybe take two to six entire weeks to transition into a brand new type of diet in order to make sure that you succeed. That way you make one or two small changes. You know, you make swaps in your diet, like you're not gonna eat this, but you're gonna eat this instead. That way, every little change that you make, you can make sure it's sustainable. It's infinitely smarter to do it that way than to be like, I'm going vegan on Monday, and you post a picture of your grocery cart full of veggies and your trash can full of animal products, for what? As you can tell by the tone of my voice, this brand of perfectionism, it just, it eats me up inside because I like to see people succeed and you're much more likely to succeed if you take baby steps and make sure you can live with each small change on a long-term basis because if it's not going to be long-term, why are you doing it? I see a lot of people jumping into new workout plans, going hardcore seven days a week or sometimes twice a day. When prior to that, they had been getting hardly any activity at all. I definitely think that's a fear-based behavior and not coming from, it doesn't come from a place of self-love. It comes from fear and self-hate. Again, it's much smarter if you're starting from ground zero as far as activity is concerned to find one small, consistent time of the week that you can get some exercise. Build on that slowly so that it's sustainable so that you don't set yourself up for failure. In my journey of unlearning perfectionism, I had to force myself to get uncomfortable with messy things. I realized, hey, my life is a mess either way. And thanks to all of the awesome people on social media who are you know, out there when it became trendy to post things about embracing the mess and laughing at things being in shambles sometimes, and most of all, not feeling ashamed of having a hard time doing the day-to-day stuff. Once I saw examples of people succeeding with mess going on in their lives, I literally started doing things to make myself uncomfortable with disorder and mess around me. Now, old me, as a young adult, this is just an example. Old me, as a young adult, if I overslept, which started to happen frequently as my health declined pretty rapidly starting around like, I think it started around early 2015. If I overslept and I had to rush to work without making my bed, there were so many days, I'm even, I'm embarrassed to admit this, when not making my bed would make me crabby the entire day. 
because I felt like I failed before I even left the house. There was nobody there loving me, lovingly telling me, hey, Kel, it's okay because you're dealing with heartbreak. You're dealing with health struggles. You're dealing with doctors that are giving you terrible information. And it literally, hey, Kel, it literally makes you no less lovable or valuable just because you didn't make your bed. Oh, how I wish someone would have told me that. I needed to hear it a lot of times in life, even though, you know, I was already an adult. Because remember that how I said the self-love was totally foreign to me. I got to a point where I had to learn to accept an unmade bed, but to get over this self-destruction, even on the days when I had to make, had time to make my bed, I forced myself not to. That's how I started to break up with perfectionism in order to unlearn a behavior that was harming me, even though, you know, I was raised to believe that good people make their bed every single day. And I, I like to have a made bed, but my interpretation as a child was that unmade beds were failure and fail made a person unworthy of love. And it carried me into adulthood. That's just how my, how I interpreted it as a child. It's nothing to do with how I was raised, but it was just my brain operating that way. But I forced myself to leave the bed unmade until I could prove to myself that I was no less worthy of being loved or having a good day just because I left my bed unmade. And I did lots of Similar things to this, you know, forcing my, like I said, forcing myself to break up with perfectionism. I had to feel the messiness and the uncomfortability and the disorganization. I had to feel it and know that I was fine. I had to force myself to feel the uneasiness on purpose. So if you're laughing right now at how ridiculous or extreme the bed making example might sound, just think of it, like I said, as one small example. And if you have perfectionistic tendencies, find things that happen in your life where you can ease up on controlling behaviors that give you anxiety. And here's another example really quickly. I know that my FitFizz website is a technical trash heap. I know this. People who don't understand SEO and business funnels, they will look at it and say it looks nice. But having the technical knowledge that I have, I know the way that my website functions is like I've slapped a Versace dress on someone who hasn't showered or brushed their teeth since 1963. <laughs> There's not a day that goes by that I don't wish I had the bandwidth to fix it because I know how to fix it and fixing it will greatly improve my business overall. But I have come to accept that at this point in time, the only way that I can podcast and take care of my FitFizz shop and make small little advancements in my business while I'm working full-time in a field that I'm trying to leave behind. I've come to accept that I have to just let my website be a mess until other certain things fall into place. I think that perfectionism is why people also love to count macros as a form of dieting. It can be a very effective thing, and people tend to love it because it is super specific. Like there's a formula. Here, here are your exact number of grams of protein that you need in a day and grams of fats and grams of carbs. Like boom, boom, boom. Here's the formula to reach your goals. There's no gray area or very minimal gray area. But for a lot of people, it can be a dangerous route because of perfectionistic tendencies. By the way, I also did episodes on macronutrients in the past too, if you want to learn more about counting macros and what that's all about. But for some people, 
macros can be effective, but if you start to obsess, like feeling like you failed, if you were just a few grams over one day, or if you won't, won't eat a certain food altogether, if you're not sure what the macros are, that's when perfectionism starts to slip into the category of disordered eating, like orthorexia. I also did an episode on that way back. I think it was in somewhere in the first 10 episodes. On the other side of perfectionism, we have procrastination. We all know what that is, right? This is another, usually a fear-based behavior. Even if you've never thought of it as being fear-based before, it usually is. And sometimes we procrastinate because the fear of doing something less than perfect can paralyze us. I've certainly done this myself on countless occasions too. And it's another way of self-sabotage. If you maybe identify more with being a procrastinator than a perfectionist, you can also go back, listen to this episode from the very beginning and apply all the same ideas to procrastination. There is so much overlap in why we tend to do either of these behaviors. That's why I'm putting them into one episode. So if if you're listening right now and having a moment like, oh my God, this is me. I never realized it. It might feel a little bit overwhelming if you're realizing there are behaviors you could change. But how do you even begin to do that? Let's talk about what you can do other than my bed making example (laughs) um, to make sure that you feel worthy and you can change these behaviors if you want to. Now, if you are a person who procrastinates regularly or maybe sometimes there's always, always, always an underlying reason. Like I said, it's fear-based, but that's that. think of that as the big blanket reason. So if you want to change the behavior of procrastinating, you have to get real with yourself about what the more specific underlying reason is. A lot of times there's anxiety, anxiety that it won't be perfect, or you'll end up not knowing how to do part of it, or you won't know what to say, or fear that you might not succeed. Those are all anxiety-inducing. That in itself can be a vicious cycle because you procrastinate for the original underlying reason. Then the longer you procrastinate, the more frustrated you become with yourself because you didn't just get it done, whatever that it may be. It might be cleaning or making a doctor's appointment or going to the gym. But procrastination might also, sometimes it's also a form of revenge. That might sound slightly illogical at first, but you can Google the term revenge procrastination and see this is you'll know what it is and I'm going to tell you what it is the best example when you let's say you know you're having kind of a rough week you're operating on less than optimal sleep you're exhausted you had a long day kids wore you out and it's 11:45 p.m. And instead of going to bed and getting that much needed sleep you turn on the tv and you start watching netflix that is revenge procrastination. You know what it is, right? It's revenge on the time that you didn't have to yourself. Part of your brain is like, I'll show you, I'm going to take back control of my time by not going to bed, even though I really need that sleep right now, because it's more important that I'm controlling my life than letting exhaustion win. That's what's happening. And to bring it back to how I said that procrastination is fear-based, with This type of revenge procrastination, you're operating under the fear of not having time for yourself. So I'm not saying this is a totally bad thing. In a way, sometimes as overworked humans, as most of us are, I have to agree that sometimes we do kind of need that. But if you're doing that 300 days out of the year, 
then you might want to stop and reevaluate and take a look at how you can reprioritize sleep a little bit more. Now, if you find that procrastination is having a negative impact on your life at any time, you have to get out of your own way enough to ask yourself, what exactly is the underlying emotion or underlying fear? Now, your initial reaction might be, I just don't want to do it. (laughs) But there's always a reason. So ask yourself what you're scared of. Here's another example. Let's say that you really want to start lifting weights. And instead of just, maybe you go to the gym all the time, you're always on the treadmill and you're like, I really want to start lifting weights. But the last 20 times that you were there, you were just on the treadmill. So you're frustrated. You procrastinated. Now I get that going into the weight area of a gym, especially if that's not, not your normal place, I get that it can be very intimidating for some people. But ask yourself what the fear really is. Like, what is the deeper fear? One, here's another example. One very common fear is people just say, I'm just scared I'm going to look dumb. I don't want to end up on someone's Instagram video with people laughing at me. It's very common. I have had this exact conversation with people on several occasions. So if that's your fear, (laughs) you know, if you've seen these silly gym videos, what's happening in those videos? Number one, they're usually staged, even though a lot of times it's hard to tell. Number two, those people that are getting laughed at, they're doing very extreme things. They're not just doing bicep curls. They're doing ridiculous things. And number three, most people at the gym are focused on themselves and not what other people are doing. So let's get back to the fear side of this. What's the worst that could happen? Remind yourself, you know, you go into the weight area, just remind yourself that you only need to stick to very basic types of weightlifting exercises anyway, whether you're beginning or advanced. The basic stuff is always the most effective. So stick with the basic things. You're going to blend in more than you might feel like you do. And if you have questions, ask somebody that works there. Hire a trainer. That's how we learn things. We all started there at one point or another. But whatever it is that you find yourself procrastinating and you get to a point where you're annoyed with yourself for it, ask yourself, what is the underlying fear? And what's the worst that could possibly happen? Because usually it's not even anything that bad. Um, And then step three, so I'm going to say those again. If you find that you're procrastinating and you're kind of fed up with it, number one, what is the underlying fear? Number two, what's the worst that can happen? Name it because it's usually not that bad. And number three, move through it by breaking down the big task into one next small step that you can do on your way to completing the bigger thing. All it takes is one step and then one more small step and one more small step. And keep working on fixing the emotions and fears behind both procrastination and perfectionism. Now, if you want to take these types of behavior changes even more seriously, here are some more steps that you can take for you to self-evaluate. You might want to write these down. So I'm going to say it slowly or you can always rewind. But here you go. Number one, you're going to make a list of all of the people, situations, and circumstances that tend to intensify your need for perfectionism. Number two, make a list of all of the people, situations, and circumstances that tend to intensify your procrastination. And then number three, You're going to write it out, make a plan, actually write it out for how you can minimize those occurrences of the people, situations, and circumstances that intensify those things. And 
if it's not possible to minimize those occurrences, like maybe it always happens at work, you just can't avoid it. Make a plan, write it down, how you're going to handle it next time now that you have identified the specific ways that it happens. Make a plan. So what, next time you're in it, you're catch, do your best to catch yourself early on. They're like, okay, I recognize this feeling. I want to stop this. I made a plan. What did I write down? And hopefully you can see some um, a less procrastination in your life. That's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. Please hit the follow button if you haven't already so that you can hear all future episodes. The Fit Fizz Shop is always open and a link is in the show notes or you can just go to etsy.com and type in, so you can search for Fit Fizz, all one word. I promise I'm going to try to add more shirts to the shop very soon because shirt sales have been popping lately and I'm not complaining. I'm very happy about that. So I want to give you more options. And my website is Fit Fizz Studio. You can schedule virtual personal training sessions with me or nutrition coaching with me there. Please share this episode with a friend, share it on social media. Tell me something that you learned today. I love, I would love to hear from you. And all my social media handles are at FitFizz. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, breathe, stay strong, and always celebrate victory. Celebrate victory. Thank <laughs> you.